Welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon, where story creators talk story creation. Drake is an award-winning fantasy novelist and creative writing teacher. You can find his epic fantasy series, The Genesis Oblivion, on Kindle Vela. Marie runs a fantasy world-building channel called Just In Time Worlds, and her first book, The Hidden Blade, is available on Kindle Unlimited. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Drake and Marie. Today's topic I'm going to be uber giddy about because it is literally my favorite thing in the whole wide world when it comes to writing. We're going to be talking about fight scenes and combat and, and writing different scenarios and how to think about different things and, and so on and so forth. So uh, buckle up because it's going to be a really fun ride. As always, please comment below. We do read all the comments. We answer all the comments. We do want you guys engaged. We want you to be a part of this process hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, add us to your podcast favorite list, whatever you got to do. You really should also go to, and all the links are down below, but you should go to our web pages and join our mailing list. Yeah. And always hit the subscribe, hit the like button on the YouTube video so that the algorithm recommends it to more people. Okay. So today came to us from somebody who actually requested it. And they said they want to talk about writing combat specifically you know, in general, but also in the specific one versus one scenario versus group combat versus battle scenes. Drake, you have a reputation for being a combat master. So I do actually a two-part lecture on, it's called Anatomy of an Action Scene, because I, I don't even want to limit it to fight scenes. And half of the lecture is literally just the theories of things and thinking about things. And the other half is literally just grammar and sentence structure and why we do the things that we do. Because those are really where the power of the emotions and, you know, to deliver the emotions, to deliver the action, to deliver all this stuff. Because the crazy thing about this is, so if I am filming something and I throw two guys fighting on the screen, I'm done. You, you see everything and our eyes capture everything at the same moment. In prose, you get to read the first word, and then you get to read the second word, and then you get to read the third word, and hopefully that ends up being a complete sentence, and then you can read another complete sentence, and hopefully that ends up being a coherent paragraph, and then you read another coherent, like, it, there, is, there is no, it's one of the reasons why with all of my clients and students, I, I, I slap them every time they use stage direction, the word then, the word now, uh, like, of course it's now, like I'm reading it now. Of course it's then because it's happening in the next sentence after the one I just read. Like, stop using those words. You don't, you don't need to direct my time flow while I'm reading your, your book. But that creates some serious issues because how do you make the reader feel like they're on a bicycle riding through a park with just words? And so that's where you really have to think different. And that's why I'm, I, I spent, I've spent literally my whole career just thinking about how to write fight scenes and, and why I write fight scenes and everything like that. I'm not going to go through the whole, we don't have time to go through the entire lecture, but, the, but there definitely are some, some really big points. One of the things that I think a lot of people miss in prose, and this is, this is, this is everything, I'm going to make this much more general as well, because I think everybody does this. So you know, you, you might have seen some of my cartoon art or something like that. So I'm an artist as well as a writer. Here's the thing about art and, you know, physical drawing art, because I do believe that I'm an artist with words as well. No one draws anything without looking at a reference. You just don't, you don't draw out of your head. So, you know, all the guys that are drawing these amazing covers for me or, you know, whatever, when you see this, this stuff, dragons don't exist, but they still look at something. They, they piecemeal something together. They, they maybe have a, cat head because they like the shape of that or or you know bat wings or whatever i don't know but they're, they're always going to pull something and it's always irked me that writers don't think they have to do that like you're like oh no i can just paint out of my head no you can't da vinci couldn't paint out of his head like what makes you so special um because i i have references for everything if I'm, when I'm you know, world building, I'm on the internet looking for buildings that kind of have the look that I think this town, city, village, this environment, this society would build and stuff like that. And then it all goes into my world building folder so that when I'm describing a city, I can pull up these pictures. 
every single character, including tertiary characters in my scene, I go and find a real picture of a real person and I name it that character's name and I put it in a folder. And so I can pull it up every time that I need to look. It's one of the reasons why I can come up with so such an interesting, like, because people have said that, like, they're like, how do you, how do you come up with like the, the tertiary guy that's, that's got a burnt ear off? Like you, all these different things that you think about. I'm like, I, I don't really. I just, I'm searching the internet and there's a dude with a burnt ear and I'm like, oh my God, that's really interesting. And then I, I, I'm going to take that picture and I'm going to use that as my reference to paint the picture of that character. Fights are no different or even more difficult. So there's two things that I always recommend. One is you need to draw the environment. And I actually recommend that you draw every environment of every scene just to make sure that you kind of see where everything is at. Like I'm, I'm, I'm plotting out a story that takes place in this village and the villages, we know everything about the village. And so we knew all the stuff that happened in this one scene that I'm plotting out. And I started plotting it out and I went, yeah, I don't know where anything is in this village. So I had to stop and draw the village because without that, I couldn't, you know, really, hammer home exactly where everything is and where things are in relationship and how the characters are going to traverse through this little village and everything like that. So I stopped and I spent a couple hours drawing a village. Um, and then I was able to just, man, plot right through it because I can see everything. So it's the same thing with, with fight scene. I will do, I remember one time I was doing a, a fight in a, in a modern day bar. It was something I did for Shadowruns, so much more modern stuff. And I just typed in bar um, blueprints. And there was just tons of stuff that came up and I started, you know, pulling. I was like, oh, that's an interesting looking bar and all that. And I, I had no, like, I knew there was going to be a fight here, but the fight ends up going into the bathroom. I never would have come up with that idea if I wasn't looking at the, the blueprint of the bar that I chose to use. Because that's, that's the thing when you're in fights that I think people miss. The environment is very, 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 very important to fights. I mean, I'm, I grew up in a military school where, where physical hazing was encouraged. I am a former combat Marine. I have, I've been in my fair share of fisticuffs. Uh, so yes, I do have the experience in it, but I promise you, if I can get, if I can get any, if I can get this metal cup right here, if this is near me, I'm going to hit you with it. Like, I don't care. Um, and so if you can't see the environment, if you don't really think about what's, I mean, Bruce Willis killed the guy with a set of stairs, a chain and a set of stairs. That's what he killed him with. Like, but you have to play off the environment. And the only way to do that is to actually be able to see it. And so I think that's where I probably start is really I, thinking about that. I think I have a, a little bit of a, like a thing there that I can potentially say that I found incredibly useful. So there's there's all kinds of software these days to allow you to run D&D games online. And, but what I really find them useful for, they're called virtual tabletops, roll 20 and so on, is you can slap a map into them and slap tokens onto that map and then kind of move the tokens around and see how the fight, you can almost play it out in your mind. I mean, I still am role-playing some, but I buy stuff from the role-playing market that I will, I, I just, it was a Kickstarter, but there was this massive battle mat thing that was just freaking gorgeous and all these different things. And it was all customizable and it came with all these stickers and everything like that. Because, you know, I have a Roll20 account and all that, but it's it's annoying. I can do it so much faster. It's why I don't use a program like what's the uh, Scrivener, mm. because it's it takes me too long to get to what I want to make a note to do. And sure. Yeah. Once you do it and yeah, everything's set up. But you know what? I got a murder board downstairs. <laughs> it's got it's got thumbtacked post-it notes on it and yarn that goes from different things to show me connections and everything like that. I've got massive dry erase boards um, that I fill out my plotting because I can do it right there. You know, I can be in the shower and, and get that idea that, oh my goodness, this fixes that problem that I've had for the last four days. And I can just run in, write something on the board and run out. Like I don't have to turn on a computer. I don't, and so I do really like the, um, like the physical stuff. And, but it's the same, it's the exact same thing that you're talking about with the roll 20 stuff. I just throw it out on my table and then I can look at stuff or I download maps or whatever. And I do like that physical kind of tactileness, but then it allows me, because the reality is, is that fights are choreographed, that you want them to feel organic, but to make them feel organic, you got to kind of plan them out. Every movie is done this way. And there's no movie that you're like, wow, that's a really stiff, 
you know, stilted fight scene. That's not realistic at all. No, these guys are good at what they do. And it feels like, oh, man, these guys just went at it and just crazy stuff happened. It's because they planned it. And, I, and that's another thing that I think people miss with fight scenes is they're just like, oh, I'm just going to have a fight scene. I'm just going to write it. But they don't know what anything looks like. And they don't plan anything out. So they have no idea where it's going. So like, like before I started writing that bar scene and the, you know, knowing that the fight's going to end up with one of them basically being shoved through a, a stall in the bathroom and all that was because I, I planned out the route that everything was going to take and what, what was going to be used as a, you know, advantages and how things were going to go. And I think, I, I think those are probably where I'd start for the two most overlooked things uh, when you're really thinking about doing a really, really good fight scene. I think that it's also, it's very important to know what the end goal of the fight scene is. Okay, cool. Your characters are going to get into a fight. Why? What are they trying to do? And will they achieve it by the end of the fight? What are the people who are fighting them trying to do? And will they achieve it? That, that is absolutely paramount. You have to do this. I actually break it up into threes. I want to know, and this is with everything that, that the character does, but I want to know what the character, what their desired outcome is. Not that they're going to get that. They might, they might not. But, but when you know what this person wants to as their end game, you can run them more realistically because now it's not you making decisions, it's them making decisions. And so I, I call it sitting down and, and having a conversation. I don't do it with my POV characters because I just know them so well, I've kind of become them. But for the bad guys, let's say, even though they're nameless bad guys, I sit down with them and I'm like, hey, so... Um, because they're the hero in their story. They're not even going to get a name in my story. And I'm going to chop their head off in like three seconds. But in their story, they're the hero. So I say, hey, dude, so you're, you're working for this guy. Like, like what, do you, what would happen? You know, and, and this is the one I use in my class uh, as an example. Like you got three guards that the hero has to get past. And if I don't talk to these three guards, then I'm just going to do whatever. But if I sit down with them, I'm like, okay, guys, what, what do you think was happening? And the first guy is like, you know what? I'm, I'm a badass. There's no one that can touch me. I am. I hope the hero shows up here. I know he's been killing people all over the kingdom, but I hope he shows up because I'm going to wax the floor with him. I am going to literally just beat him down. And the other guy's like, well, I, I like your enthusiasm, but um, like, this is a job. Like the guard pays well. I've got a wife and kids, so I'll do my job. I'm an honorable guy, but I mean, I, I don't want to die. I really, really don't want to die. Like, it's just the way it is. I'll do my job until maybe it's too dangerous. And the other guy's like, yeah, my cousin got me this job. I am literally hating life. I don't like the job. I am terrified. The guy that we're working for, he's actually bad. I don't even like him. Like once you have that conversation with those three guys, they're going to act very, very, very different once the fight starts. But if you don't have that conversation with them, and figure out what they're actually care about and what they want the end. And I already know all three of you are dead. I'm sorry. I know you got a wife and kids. I know you think you're a badass and I know you're scared crapless. I'm going to kill all of you. It's just, I don't even know your names. Don't want to know your names. You're going to die. Sorry. Life isn't fair. I I'm now that I've talked to them, I actually now can go, Oh yeah. And I can keep that in mind as I'm, and again, I'm choreographing it before I start writing it. So now I can say, okay, well, this guy would definitely probably do this. Oh, and if that happened, then this guy's going to do, oh, you know what? That would cause, because a lot of action and reaction, you know, the, the hero pops in the door. Well, that's an action. What, how do they react? Well, they react. Now that's an action. How does the hero react? And so it's a lot of just this thinking about this, letting the fight. And the reason why my fight seems so organic is because I do let them, I let every action have a legitimate reaction based off of what I feel like those people would do based off of what they want to have happen. And then that becomes an action. And now the other side has to react to that. So what would be the logical way that they would react to now that these guys are doing this or whatever? And again, it, it is a mentality. And so that's, that's one half. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other things in the, in the thinking about things that I think is very important. We're not going to have time to do it. Um, but those, I think, unless you have something else on the kind of planning stage, uh, I think seeing your environment, choreographing the, 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 the actual fight scene. And it doesn't I'm not talking about drawing a, a storyboard. 
you know, some of my movies and TV shows, we have massive storyboards where we're like, okay, and then this foot is going to go here. And then he's going to flip over this table this way. And I'm drawing, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, it's going to start here. Oh, look, I'm, I'm next to a, a, a rack of pool sticks. I'm going to grab one of those pool sticks and hit him with it. And it's going to break. And then, you know, this is going to go here and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm just kind of planning it out loosely so that I have an idea. And then the most important, the, and this is in every scene. Again, motivation is the most, thing, most important thing you need to know of every single scene you write. Um, and not just of your narrating character and not just of your secondary characters. I think it's vital to know what those tertiary characters, because they are the hero in their story. You know, their story might be ending right now, but they're still the hero of their story. So I think, yeah, those are the three things that, that for a planning side of it are just vital. I think it's more important to understand a lot of the grammar side. So one of the things that's kind of a Drakeism is, is I say to become really good as a prose writer, you actually have to master three completely different writing styles, not writing voices. You're still going to write it in your voice, but three completely different writing styles. The first is narration. Narration to me, my definition of it is describing stuff. And I'm not talking about describing, you know, action or anything. I'm just like, describe the room that they're in, describe what someone looks like, stuff like that. All that stuff is boring. And so you have to master how to describe that and make it interesting. And that's hard because you can't just describe the room. You have to describe the room in a way that moves the story, gives insight to your main character and is interesting for the reader to read it. And those, those are the three things that you have to do when you're, when you're writing narration. So that's why I do classes on that. That's a whole different ballgame. Uh, the next is actually, in my opinion, the hardest thing to write. And that's dialogue. And dialogue is its own beast. Because, first of all, dialogue in a novel is not characters talking to each other. It's not. Like, go transcribe a conversation. Or, or just put a recording when you're hanging out with friends over dinner. Just put your phone on record and record the whole thing. And then later listen to it. You're going to be bored out of your mind. It's insane how crappy we are, but verbally we communicate really well with that. But reading it is just painful. Um, I, I went through that thing where, uh, where I was talking about the, the thing from My Name is Earl, where he said that just repetitive stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And I was like, man, if you read, if you were to read this and you would, you would be like, I'm done. I, this writer sucks. And yet in a TV episode, it was literally one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. And so that's the, that's the difference. So with, with dialogue, I mean, think about it. Dialogue is usually about one third to one half of every word in your book. If it's just people talking, you're wasting a third to a half of your book. It has to do a lot of the things that, things that narrator does. It has to move the plot. It has to give insight to the characters. It's vitally important for your secondary and tertiary characters. Because remember, you're only in the head of your narrating character. So the only way the readers know anything about the secondary and tertiary characters is by what they say and what they do. And so every line that comes out of secondary or tertiary character's mouth needs to have weight to it. It needs to give insight. It needs to do something more. And, and not every line can be this way. I mean, like, they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, what can you do with that line? So yes, obviously some are going to be conversational, but that's why I do classes on that. Cause it's so difficult. Yeah. But the last thing is motion. And that is a completely different, because it's not narration. If you write it like your narration, it's not going to be exciting and it's not going to be as fun. So I'll just go through a couple of different things. You know, if you have something to add right now, um, I'm going to pass it over to you. But then, then I'll just kind of look at some of the, the kind of the grammar things that you really need to kind of think about. So I think that one of the things that I do want to say about writing combat is that People say, but a fight scene should be confusing because a fight, a fight is confusing in real life. I've heard that statement. And yes, a fight in real life is confusing. But you don't want to lose your reader. You don't want the reader reading the scene going, I'm confused. I don't know where my character is. I don't know where the bad guys are. I don't know where that bullet came from. So I don't know. I didn't even know there was a set of stairs there that he, get, that he used to kill that guy. Exactly. Where the hell did that come from? So, yes, real life fighting is confusing, but you never want your reader confused. Because uh, that that's a great point. Fights aren't actually confusing if you understand and have been in it and you're no longer 
gun shy and like you're in it to, to win it and you you see everything that's going on and really the world kind of gets focused so a lot of my characters not in the beginning you know if they're a farm boy they've never fought and they, they stumble through things and fights or i do write fights where they really don't know what's going on and and it does get confused because i i want the reader to feel what the character's feeling but you know if i've got a character that's just a killing machine and just literally understands everything about every motion that every bat, you know, combatant is going to make and every mo mo um, mode that she's going to move that she's going to make. That's there's no confusion there. Like once you get trained and have been in enough brawls that you're no longer, you know, like I said, gun shy, it, it isn't that confusing when you get to a fight. Even the farm boy, I would argue the fight must still like, even if I'm like, okay, he's so confused. Like where's the next punch coming from, etc. Right. You still don't want the reader going, okay, but I'm, I, I have to go back and read the previous paragraph because I don't understand what's going on here anymore. And that's right. what I mean by reader confusion. Right, 100%. And that's why I said that's a great point. You can never lose your reader. The reader needs to know where they're at, who they're seeing, what's going, kind of going on around them. But what I meant was is you can make it a little bit more vague or whatever. And the reader still knows, okay, yeah, there's this thing going on and okay, yeah, I'm right here. I don't really know, like, and I've done this plenty of times where, you know, somebody will be in a fight and then just stars will, will just rack their eyes. And, and they're like, wait a minute, where'd this come from? I said, well, he got hit in the back of the head with a, with a two by four, but you didn't see that because the guy's behind you. So then I have to, you know, that's that moment where the reader's like, whoa, what's this? Why am I on the ground now? And I'm, I, can't, I can't even see straight. And then I have to catch that up you know, in the next couple of lines. to but, maybe I mean, you, you can, you can still give the reader a clue by giving a, a, a verb, a, you know, a, a audio. So you could say blow crunched into the back of his head. If you want, a lot of times I don't want, Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to just like, you're in a fight, everything's going great for you. And then all of a sudden stars fill your vision. You feel the ground punch you in the face you got dirt in your mouth. Where the heck? The, and the reader is literally like, how did this happen? Yeah. And then I'll catch you up because the character doesn't know. Mm. And I don't want the reader knowing anything the character doesn't know because I want them to experience that. I want them to experience what it's like to have somebody come up behind you that you never even saw and hit you in the head with a brick and like change the entire course of the events that were going on here. And I do want you to be confused. And, and that's hundred percent. If the character can then sort of roll and see the thing that hit right. him or whatever the case may be. But here's, here's the thing about that's different from what you were talking about where you're losing reader. Yeah. The reader still knows they're in the guy's head. Yeah. This reader still knows that the guy can't see anything. The reader still knows that for some reason he's on the ground and there's dirt in his mouth. So that's not confusing. The reader's not going to go, wait a minute, I'm going to have to reread this. What's the, what mm -hmm. the crap's going on? They know, they know that they don't know what happened, but they know that my vision just went black. I landed on the ground. Obviously something happened that, that I didn't see. So I don't think that loses the reader. It just doesn't let them know what the cause of what just happened is. So I, absolutely. You cannot lose the reader. And I don't feel that does it. You know, you still know where you're at. You just, you're at a place that sucks and you can't see anything but stars, <laughs> you know, and then the vision clears and things come out and, you know, we start going, Oh crap, a horse was running by and just ran this guy over. Probably didn't even see him. Um, and so again, it just depends on the situation and, and, and what I want to do with the scene and, and everything like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're hundred percent right. That doesn't mean that you have to do, I mean, cause you could do that. They, absolutely. You could say the crack of wood hitting the back of his head sent him flying. And I've seen that a million times. I won't do that because again, I'm, I'm a very strict limited POV writer. I never, I don't do free inner discourse. And so if, if, cause I'm not going to hear it because the hit is going to completely take my senses out. So I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to see it. I'm just going to feel it. I, I've been, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. Like, like I do have a big dent in the back of my head from what I'm describing here. I, you know, I just, but again, I don't feel like I'm losing them. I don't feel like I'm confusing them because that's what you don't want to do. You're hundred percent right on that. And, and, and again, you don't have to do it my way. You don't have to do it Marie's way. It's, it's about what do you want to do? How do you want to convey it to the audience? What are you trying to paint as far as the picture is going? Um, neither way is wrong. Both ways are right. It just depends on what you want to do and how you want to convey it to the audience. Does that make sense? Yep. hundred percent. Okay. So let's talk about grammar. Yeah. Let's look at some of those. 
here's a couple tricks. I'm just going to go through these um, and we can elaborate on them as we go that you really do want to think about. Um, so one of the things we want to do in a fight scene is we want to make it feel like things are moving faster. They're not. They're still just reading one word and then the next word and then the next word. It's not moving any faster. But there are some tricks you can do to kind of accentuate that or accelerate that or make it feel that way. One of them is you really should be using smaller sentences, very short, simple sentences. When you do that, the reader gets to, and I don't know if anybody buys into this. This is the way I explain it. It's the way I teach it. No one's argued with me on it, but I believe that punctuation is you dictating when they swallow the information. So if you have a ton of stuff in, in a sentence, if it's this big long run on sentence with like four or five different things that are, that are kind of important, I don't feel the reader actually swallows it until they hit that period, which is why there's things in there they're just going to miss because they're not going to realize, like if every one of those are vitally important and you put them all in one sentence, they're going to maybe get two of them, maybe. Like they're not going to get the whole thing, which is why you want to break that out to like, this is important and this is important and this is important. Because I do believe that mentally you swallow every sentence, every paragraph, every scene, every chapter, and so on and so forth. By going into short sentences or even just, because I, one of the things that I do more than I probably should, and I've, I, this is, I've been working on this for 30 years to, to, to mitigate this. Again, nobody bitches about it. And so I do use it. I do a lot of um, compound sentences where it's, because I like, if two things are happening at the same time, I do like to put them in the same sentence. So, you know, the foot glanced off his cheek as a two flew out into the air. Like it, I'm going to put that in the same sentence because they're both pretty much happening at the exact same second. And since I only have one piece of information here and then a comma and one piece of information here and a period, I don't have four things. I don't have them jumping and spinning and kicking and punching and bleeding and cussing and all this stuff in that one sentence. I just have these two things. I don't think that hurts anything. And plus both are really short. So it still kind of gets that same quick flow. Um, but sentence structure is very, very important. And this is where it comes down to, you gotta, you gotta know how to diagram. You know, you have to be able to diagram and not all the crazy stuff. Everybody freaks out when I say that. You've got to know how to pull out your subject and your action. That's it. If you can pull out your subject and action, that is all the diagramming a professional writer will ever need for the rest of their life. Nothing more. Knowing your subject and action means that you can, you can pare everything down that sentence to, to as close as you can to just those two things. You know, it might be three words, four words, five words or whatever, but you've got those things. And so that's, that's one of the things. Let me, anything to add to that? So those short sentences, I think, are the most important thing you can take out of combat because it really does read faster. I know it doesn't read faster, but it does. It feels <laughs> like it reads faster. It feels like you're reading yep. faster. And I have a tendency of writing introductory clauses, but I try and avoid them with combat. That impact of the short sentences really makes you feel like you're in the fight. Yeah, the only time I do it, like I said, is, is if I have two things that are happening at the same time, I do tend to put them in one sentence just because I want the reader to consume them at the same time. Also, one other thing about punctuation is please don't think that you're going to make your fight scene more exciting by having a million exclamation marks. An exclamation mark doesn't make a sentence more exciting. <laughs> Not at all. So please don't do now, that. And I've read some fight scenes that are just like, bah, everywhere. Right. Well, just speaking of that, don't write onomatopoeias either. Don't write biff. Don't write bam. Don't write. You can write verbs that double as onomatopoeias. So you can write, you know, the, the, the metal, the steel arrow tip tinged off his armor. Mm. And ting, you know, it's a verb, but it's also... It, it gives a sound as well, but don't write onomatopoeias. We're not doing comic books here no. or, or cheesy 60s Batman television shows. I, I will say one other thing now that you spoke about Ting uh, and, and onomatopoeias is if you're doing combat, especially group combat, especially battle, really think about smell. You've got 
a lot of smells going on there. You have blood, vomit, other bodily functions, flooding the battlefield, you know, people dying. You have a sensory, if you, you, you need to build people in there and you need to do that with your verbiage. If that's what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. Um, you don't have to do it. Like if, if you're writing more of a Percy Jackson thing, you're not going to go into that level of detail, but the way we write is much more realistic. And so we really want them to experience as if they were actually there, but you don't have to do that. Just, just know what tone that you're trying to set with your story, but those are great, especially when you're trying to be uber realistic, those things happen. So you want to include those or, or not. I mean, like, it's so funny. This video game that I can't talk about that uh, if it gets uh, funded, I'll be working for. I did do some things for them already. We did a bunch of pre stuff. Um, I don't even know if I've mentioned it on this podcast. In one of the stories, I, I wrote 10 short stories for them um, that they use for helping to sell the game and everything like that. And in one of them, I actually have a guy urinating on a tree. And I realized when I wrote that, because right before it's actually part of, of, of a fight scene, it's, it's literally one of my most favorite lines I've ever written is in that. Um, I don't remember exactly because he's, he's got red hair. And so um, one of the tricks that I use in naming unnamed characters is the character will give them a trait. So like he was called Redbeard. And she had already seen him, you know, he's done this stuff. And then he walks away to, to pee on this tree. And so she had just been calling him Redbeard. So the narration just calls him Redbeard. And when she steps out, he just turns because she kills one of the other guys and he hears it. So he turns. And I said something like uh, with his little red beard on full display or something like that. It was like, I was like, Oh my God, I'm done as a writer. I've that is, I'm, I can retire. I literally can retire now off of that line. Um, so it was hilarious, but I just realized that that wasn't the story. The story is that is the first time in all of my writing that I've ever written somebody actually using the bathroom. I think I'm pretty sure somebody can fact check me on that, but it's in my memory. I don't think I've ever written that because that's, it's even though I write realistic stuff and yeah, everybody, you know, the, there's a book about it. Everybody poops. I don't want to write that. I don't want to read that. I don't want to like, it it's always also, weirds me out when I read it in a book. Like it's uh, like, I have one, I have one scene in Ducal Air where it comes up because the character has been not in a position to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So in this, it, like when somebody says to him, are you ready to do this? He's like, no, I need to go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> like, but because, you're using that as a plot device too. Yeah, because it's a, it's a kind of a, like a reminder of, you know, he's spent X amount of time not being able to. Yeah. But as a general rule, you kind of assume that people go to the bathroom. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What I have done is when a character is in a situation where it's very, it's like too obvious that there is nothing, that you're not going to do anything normal. I will usually because that scene is, is, is moving fast. Like I'm, I'm just, it's more of a, a jump in time whatever um so i'm not showing the blow by blow or whatever and i'll say like he had to do this to take care of that like i will kind of say because i feel like it's a it's a loose string mm. that the audience will be like well, how did he use the bathroom and i don't want them thinking that so i just go ahead and say you know this is this is kind of how he, i don't describe it i don't write it um but on this one i actually no. wrote the stream starting and the splashing and the, the sound <laughs> against the bark and like and I'd never written that before. But again, it got me my little red beard um, <laughs> line, which I was very, very proud of. I hope the game gets picked up because otherwise no one's ever going to be able to read that story because I don't own it. You know, that's the, that's the thing about being a tie-in writer. When you're writing for another company and another IP, you know, even though I created that character, there wasn't a red beard mm. until I wrote him. Um, I don't own any of that. I'm a work for hire. I get paid a flat fee and move on. Yes, so let's talk a little bit more about grammar. We spoke about exclamation marks and not being all like buff bam. So one of the one of the girls in my right, private writing group, she's in another private writing group with another writer that I know, uh, and I might have even mentioned this on this podcast before. He's a, he's a brilliant writer, um, but he's also a, a grammar Nazi. Like he feels like if you're not writing exactly in the Chicago Manual style, you're not doing it. And I'm like, yeah, but creative is the first word of creative writing. I mean, like. It's it's in the title. Um, and so 
Shogun Man himself says, absolutely no exclamation points ever. You just don't do them. They're forbidden. Mm. And those are rules that I hate. Yeah, no. Because there's some really good times to use an exclamation point. In, no. a, in a fight scene where you're like, and then he hit the ground. Crash! Exclamation point. That is not the time. Not even crash. Because again, that's an onomatopoeia. Because even though crash can be a verb, you're not using it as a verb. You're using it as onomatopoeia in that sentence. Don't do that in prose. It's just baby. It's just, it shows a very, you know, immature. And what I mean by immature is not mm-hmm. maturity, but time in grade of working toward becoming a professional writer. It just, it really doesn't showcase anything. So, I mean, I feel like we kind of beat that one into the ground. But what we haven't beaten the ground ties into what we were talking about. When you go short sentences, everything now matters in that sentence. And the biggest thing that matters is the verb. So when you're writing simple sentences, your verbs have to be amazing. You cannot write, you know, and then he hit this and then he, you know, these little weak verbs, you you can't use them. You don't, you're writing these tiny sentences. They have to have this impact. So make sure that you really, you should, you should always look at every verb in your sentence. And this, and I'm really talking about the action verb in every sentence, even when you're narrating, they should be, you know, as strong as you can make them. But in a fight scene, you have to really, even if you do an editing pass where you're like, look, I'm just going to look at the verbs in this fight scene. And that's all you do. Great. Because you want, it's that serious. You really do need to put that much effort into it. And and while you don't want to use words like buff and bam, you do want to w- use words that almost evoke some kind of sound, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to say things like, his sword caromed off the edge of the helmet, because that gives you that sliding kind of sound. You can almost hear the metal reverberate. Like tang and pang and... You know, I use all those words, you know, Mm. all the time in fight scenes because, yeah, it brings in that we always want to bring in all six senses, the five Mm. physical senses and then the emotional sense. Mm. Um, And that that's a really great way to get the sound in because then you're not wasting your time because it literally is you're double dipping. It's a verb. So it's the action that's happening in the sentence. And it also makes you hear a sound. So I just brought sound into it. Yeah, very, very important. But here's how important verbs are. Because like I said, I really want to beat this in the ground. So let's say I write, the cowboy put his gun into his holster, turned, and walked out of the bar. Everybody can see that. Everybody's seen a cowboy. Everybody's seen a bar. Everybody's seen a holster, a pistol. Absolutely, you're going to paint that picture in your mind. If I just change the verbs, just the verbs and nothing else, the cowboy slammed his gun into his holster turned and stormed out of the bar did you see the same scene no i saw a hell of a lot more action right it changes and literally i only changed the two words nothing but the two words that is how important verbs are in everything i mean this is obviously a narration scene it's not even a fight scene that, that i just read that little example off of that's why Every verb needs to be really looked at. You need to go, what is this sentence trying to convey to the reader? You know, I don't want to say, because if I wrote, if, if I was a, a less mature writer, I might write, the cowboy was very upset. So he put his gun in his holster and he walked out of the bar. Like, now I'm telling how he's feeling. And, and instead, I can just write, the cowboy slammed his gun in his holster and turned and stormed out of the bar. I don't have to tell you he's pissed. He's pissed. Like those are pissed off actions. <laughs> and an, in, an intermediate writer might say the cowboy put his, um, put his gun into his holster with aggression. Right. Right. As opposed angrily, to angrily describing action his- instead of making the verb stronger. L.Y. adverbs are always weak writing. I, I use them one, one every page or two. You're, mm-hmm. You don't want to, again, you don't want to use no exclamation points. You don't want to use no adverbs. Yes. <laughs> but they're always weak writing. Always. Even the ones that I use every couple of pages, it's weak, but I don't care. It's a sentence that doesn't need to convey anything strong. I don't want to describe it. So I use the adverb because like I always say, sometimes the door just slowly closes. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to expand upon that. It's just a door slowly closing. But Be if you can make the verb stronger mm. and convey the emotion just through the verb, you mm. must try. 
Yes. Not even just must try. Like that's, that's the mode that you want to get into as a writer. That's what, that's what a writer's group is going to help you with They're You know, if you're in a good writer's group, they're gonna be like, Hey, this is a pretty weak sentence. Like, like, why did you tell me he was angry and then just have him walk out of the bar? Like, why you, you could do something better. If you're in a good writer's group, that's what they're going to hit you with. And you're like, Oh, wow. I never even thought about that. Okay. That's interesting. Let me chase a little rabbit for just a second. And then literally just a second. The reason why I always say, cause every time I'm teaching, you know, I say it's, it's, it's a 10 year process to become a professional writer. I don't mean it takes 10 years to start making money. It didn't take me 10 years to start making money. It takes 10 years to become a professional writer. Cause, and I remember it was actually a shadow run story that I wrote that when I got done writing, I was like, Oh my God, you should get paid for writing this. Like I'm already been paid for years, but I remember the story. I remember what I felt. And it was the first time I actually felt like a professional because what, What you want to do is you want to learn all this stuff, everything we're talking about, everything I do in my classes, just all this crazy stuff. But you want to learn it to a level that you don't think about it. Everything we talk about on this this podcast, everything I teach, I don't think about any of that stuff when I'm writing. None of it because I don't need to because for 30 years I thought about it and I and every time I made a mistake, I forced myself to fix it. And so what you're trying to do is get to the level where you're just using active exciting verbs you're just you you just automatically you know it's it oh i'm this is action so i'm gonna you know shrink these sentences down i don't think about that i literally don't go okay drake you're in a fight scene now make sure you're using little short sentence i don't think any of that crap i've been doing it for so long it's now just the way i write so that's what you're trying to do and that's why you should try and write with these very powerful verbs because eventually you will just write with powerful verbs. And that's, and that's the goal. That's where we're trying to get. It'll make you write faster. It'll make you edit less. Like, cause I always hate that when I'm, I have students all the time. They're like, I don't want to learn at the level that you do. Cause I can just fix all that stuff in editing. Like why, <laughs> why would you want to spend extra time fixing something in editing that you can just learn how to do correctly the first time? Like, I don't understand. I don't get that logic. That's, that's weird to me, but I, but I've literally heard that dozens hundreds of times that's the big thing when it comes to verbs I think anything adverbs I th- no I think we've we've done verbs we've right. spoken about verbs all right just a, a couple more things and again it gets grammarly you should write an active voice all the time yes. in narration and everything however in an action scene you can only write an active voice and the only way that you know that you're writing an active voice is if you know how to diagram a sentence. Because if you can diagram a sentence and you can pull out the subject in action, you will always know if you're in passive voice or, or active voice because it's a very simple question. If you know the subject and you know the, the action, the dog bit the boy. The dog is our subject. Bit is our action. The subject is doing the action. I am in active voice. The boy was bitten by the dog. The subject is the boy. The action is was bitten, but what did the boy do? Nothing. It's passive. The dog did the action, but the dog is not our subject in that sentence formula. So it is actually not hard to learn. So many people are like, oh my God, active voice, precise voice. I never understand that. It's one of the most simplest things that you could possibly understand if you just think about it in the terms of find, find your subject, find your action, ask, is the subject doing the action? Done. Finished. It, it, if the answer is yes, you're in active voice. If the answer is no, you're in passive voice. There's literally nothing else to worry about. We, at some point, we did speak about had and its place in prose, and it does yep. have a place. But if you're using it in your action scene, in your combat scene, you you really want to reconsider that had very carefully and make sure that it is worth its weight in gold because it also takes your reader out of that moment of action. Well, that's where I think a lot of people misunderstand what uh, past tense is. Mm. So they get locked into this, what's past tense? So it's already happened. I I mean, sure. But if you're writing in limited, the reader is experiencing it as they read it. Yes. So to them, it's happening now. Yes. It's the reason why 
you know, you should stay away from the stage directing words anyway, but in action, you, you know, he punched him in the face. Then he rolled away. Like, of course it was then like it happened next. It's in a sentence. Don't do that. So yeah. And the same thing as had they'll get into the whole, because really what had does it's about manipulating time. Yes. And so if the fight is all happening now, and you're writing something that's happening now, you don't need to go into uh, past perfect tense. Yeah. Now, there was that, that example that I used when we were talking about had where I, it was the beginning of the fight scene and it was in the now. And then there was a sentence where he, you know, he, I was describing a sword and, you know, it, it had never needed sharpening that obviously happened way before. So there, there are times where you, you know, absolutely, just like you said, absolutely. But that has nothing to do with the fight. That has nothing to do with the now. If you have something like, he went flying to the through the air because she had hit him. It's like, my dude, right. seriously, right. that, that sentence needs to go. <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> like, don't do that. That is very, she very hit bad. Him. He went flying through the air. And that's the power of understanding past tense. If you approach past tense as, well, this has already happened. It's all in the past. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna think about it as in the past, I'm gonna write this in the past, then you're gonna write it that way. And it's gonna be terrible. But if you think about it, well, I'm writing in past tense, but it's happening right now. So, yes, I walked across the room, which means I did it a while ago, but really I'm doing it right now. And when you write in that very great, tight, past tense, limited uh, POV, no one, no one thinks that, that when they're reading my stuff, they don't think that it's happening in the past. They think it's happening right freaking now. And I, it's just the way that's the power of it. If you really understand how to really take advantage of, of past tense. The other thing that really does not belong in a fight scene is filtering away from the narrator is, is she, he felt the bat crash into his back. No, oh. dude, something crashed into his back. The bat crashed into his back. Pain laced up his spine as the dragon pawed at him or something. But he definitely didn't feel the bat right. crash into well, his back. <laughs> my rule is feel and felt should never be used in prose unless it's in dialogue. Yeah. If a character's saying, I feel you are mean to me. Okay, great. Mm. Have the feel. I don't care. But no character should ever in narration feel anything because that's a tell. Yeah. Don't tell me he feels it. Tell me what that feels like. But even, even things like, you know, he heard the click of a grenade. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Say the unmistakable click of a grenade sent him diving for cover. Right. hundred percent. You want to do that all the time. Filtering is bad. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about filtering, and we might've covered it in a fast podcast, but to bring everybody up, filtering is where you force the reader to look at the narrator as he's looking, hearing, doing something cool. Mm -hmm. So Drake watched the ghost float down the hall. I don't, I don't want to watch Drake watching the ghost. Just, just let me, so, and and the, I know I understand the knee jerk reaction of why people feel they have to do it because they're like, well, well, if I if I don't let the reader know that the, that the narrating character heard it or saw it or felt it, how are they going to know it was the narrating character? I don't know, because everything that's in the story that is being experienced by the narrating character. Maybe that's a really good hint. Like everything. If something is seen, it had to be seen by the narrating character. If something is felt, it had to be felt by the narrating character. If it's if it's heard, it has to like there's no other. There's no other narrator in this scene. That's why you don't head hop. That's why head hopping ruins everything. Unless it's a plot device. I mean, again, if the whole story is revolved around because you head hop, then that's different. But that's a that's a gimmick. That's not a that's not a way to write. So yeah, the filtering is just you should, but definitely in a fight. Because again, anytime you're writing like a like a like a felt, those are the easy ones because those are tell. He heard the click of a grenade is not necessarily a tell or at least it's not a terrible tell but it is a filter i don't want to experience him experiencing the sound of the grenade just you know i want the visceral reaction of him experiencing it a cold shiver ran down his uh spine as the hard end of the barrel pressed against the back of his skull or something like that Mm -hmm. like like i don't want to I don't, I want to feel it. So it's, it's one of my favorite lines from, from this class that I use, actually no, it's from my show don't tell class is um, I could feel the demon's hot breath licking the back of my neck. And when I do that in class, everyone's like, well, that's a pretty good sense. Why would, why would, why, why do you think that's bad? 
because I could because, feel. Because I, I can't feel it. The character can feel it. If instead I wrote, because what, first of all, let's diagram it. I could feel the, dra- the demon's hot breath licking my, my neck. The subject is I, and the action is could feel. Those aren't the cool parts of those sentences. And also the reader isn't directly experiencing it. Instead, if I wrote the dragon's, or dragon, the demon's hot breath licked the back of my neck. Now I'm like, oh crap, that's, that's chilling. Like, but now what is the subject? The demon's hot breath. What is the action? Licked. Those are way more powerful than just the I could feel it. Exactly. So, and then you could even, you know, that's these are examples. I try to use very simple examples because that's still kind of a tell. If you really wanted to go all out, like if this is a, a very because you only want to go all out and show when it's very, very, very important. You don't want to show all the time because then you'd have a bloated manuscript that that nobody wants to read, even though it's all breathtakingly, you know, beautifully written. That's still too much. It's too much for a reader. They they will get bored even if everything is perfectly, you know, that, but if let's say this is something amazing, I don't want to write because I would ask the question, Hmm, what does it feel like to have a demon lick the back of my neck? And then whatever my answer is, that's going to be the show. That's going to be even deeper into that is creepy. So you want to go there, you know, but, but like I said, you, you, you do want to pick your battles. You can't do all show, you know, I, if I, if, if, if we've already been experiencing demons and, and we're in this fight and I lost track of this one demon and, and then all of a sudden the, the demon's hot breath licked the back of my neck, the, the reader knows demons, the reader knows that I'm going to fight with them, the reader knows all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I might not, because that's, that's chilling enough to, to make the reader go, ooh, you know, and I'm good with that, even though it could be even better. But do, does it, does it, is it advantageous to the story? Does it actually add something to the story that it, without it, the story is less. I mean, that's kind of my rule of thumb. But yeah, filtering is terrible. One last thing, because this happens all the time too. And this is also a sign of, a, of, an, of an immature writer. And again, not maturity, which is all about time and grade. I always feel like I have to say that because I don't want to insult anybody. Do not describe world building stuff in a fight. You know, the example that I have is Drake swung his sword at the Gorlab. Gorlabs are large winged creatures from the pit of the abyss that are a mix between dragons and bad children who don't wash behind the ears. The sword cleaved the beast in twain. Like, no. No. You don't world build. And I get why somebody's like, well, I've never explained Gorlabs. Like, how are they going to know? They're going to know because you're just going to describe it. You're going to describe the wings. You're going to, but they don't know about the bad children. No, they don't because they don't need to know. If they need to know that later, give it to them later. But literally, if you haven't, if you haven't described something and it just comes out of nowhere, then all you got is visual and what it sounds like, what it smells like, and then what it makes me feel like, like you've got my emotions too. Am I scared of this thing? Am I, am I laughing at it? Am I, whatever it is, you've got that to lean on. But if I don't know where, I don't, if I don't even know the name of the gore lab, I wouldn't even say, Drake swung his sword at a gore lab. If, if, I've, if this is the first time I've ever mentioned that word, th- then Drake doesn't know what a gore lab is. So why would he call it a gore lab? So I will so, say you can world build a little bit, but not like that. So you could world build like you did it with your sword. He drew his sword certainly. and then he thinks about the history of the sword. You right. can do that. Or like I have a fight scene where I have these knives that jump up from your wrist, right? They're, they're like these circle knives. Right. And I describe those like as standing upright, you know. But that's describing very specifically things right there in the action. That the characters actually kind of paying attention to. Yes. And I actually deserve that. I because in this podcast, I just said <laughs> nothing is always yes. creative is in the word, or you know, word creative writing. And I literally just went, don't do this. And <laughs> that's wrong. There is there is no don't do something ever. Yes. I guess except for head hopping. Don't head hop. Yeah, except for head hopping is always bad. But I, I head hop. I head hop all the time. And no one ever notices it. <laughs> you can world build a little bit. But like with head, like with everything, know what you're seeing and make the conscious decision that, yes, this is the right place to put that world building. In this anatomy of fight scene class, after we go through these rules, I then read a fight scene of mine that I wrote years and years and years ago. It, it hurts me to write it because 
if you read something you wrote six months ago and it still reads awesome, you should be afraid because that means you have not grown as a writer. And so when I read this, it just, I, I really need to just take something new and put it in there because every time I cringe at several of the things that I did in here 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever this was published, but I read this one page. And then after we talk about what we're talking about, I actually say, all right, so on this page, I did something grammatically horrible, something that if you've been coming to my lectures and classes, you've heard me bitch about a hundred times. I said, I'll make it easy on you. I'll actually pull out the paragraph. And then the next slide is just the paragraph. And I go, what did I do horribly? And I'm talking about Comic-Con with 600 people in the room. And they're like, uh, you did this wrong? Nope. Nope. That's right. You broke this? Nope. That's right. And then usually, and I only do it if I have time, but because it does take a while. And then, you know, if they don't get it, I say it, or maybe someone finally is like, did you head hop? Yes, I did. I absolutely did. They're like, but you always say you can't head hop. Right. But you didn't even know. I literally said I did something wrong in this paragraph and you couldn't find the head hop. So I head hop all the time, but you'll never see it. You just won't. So is it really if if I head hop and no one ever notices it, did I actually head hop? The tree still falls. Right. I get it. But still, no one is ever going to, no one hits any of my head hops and go, oh my God, this guy can't write at all. He heads hops. I'm out. Because they don't even no, know. They literally just don't even see it. And so in this scene, the, I head hop into the guy. So the, the tertiary character gets his arms chopped off. Hmm. And he tries to then grab the narrating character. He has no arms. And yes, I could describe what that looks like from the narrator's point of view, but flipping it for one sentence into the guy's head and kind of, you know, letting the reader feel what it feels like to try and grab something and then realize you got no arms. That's, that's, that's a cool little sentence. And so I head hop into that guy and then right back out of him because I want you to experience that little moment of, oh crap, that is horrifying. (laughs) Like, like, oh my goodness. But again, they're creative is the first word. Yeah. Just because we say never head hop doesn't mean it's just, so you it have to know exactly. Never head hop. It means yeah. if you do head hop, know what you're doing, why you're doing and decide to do it. <laughs> and do it in a way that you have mitigated why yeah. you're not supposed to do it. Yes. So that's kind of the thing. So, you know, that's, that's really it. Like, and, and you're right. Like I did, like I did read that in the past, uh, a pass. Although I will say that the fight hadn't started at that point. So hundred percent. I'm just saying, like you can, you can. Oh yeah, 100%. But, oh, I agree. I'm, but make I'm, it like it the, the, the one that you read. The problem was that I went from the sword swinging to a description of the creature, right. which I could not possibly see because right. it's like the origin of the creature. This is not important right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, if it, you can do little things and something that's quick, something that's, that's, that the narrating character is absolutely thinking about paying attention to looking at something like that. Absolutely. You want those in there. Um, but they have to be, again, just like we talked about with head hopping, you have to know that you're not supposed to will build during a fight scene. Once it starts, once the fight is started. Uh, so like I said, with Clytus, that one that I read a couple of podcasts ago, it's right as the fight is about to start, he's just now drawing his sword. Um, but I mean, like my favorite example is from the princess bride where they're in the fire swamp and they're like, we've, we've got this. It's, it's all good. And, and buttercup says, well, what about the R-O-U-S's? And Wesley says rodents of unusual size. I don't think they exist. Bam. Like I, the fight hadn't started yet. And I don't need to world build anything more than that. Like if I just say rodents of unusual size. And then I see a giant rat take him down. Like that is the most brilliant piece of world building right before a fight scene that exists in writing. Like it's, it's wonderful. And then that's it. They never mention it again. They just fight the rat. And, and then when they kill the rat, she's like, we're going to die. And he's like, no, we're not. And, and then the yeah. movie goes on. So like literally I, that, that, that scene always makes me giddy because of how fast. I mean, think about that. In that one little two pieces of dialogue exchange, you know everything you need to know about the monster we're about to fight. Mm-hmm. 
brilliant. brilliant. Just brilliant. So getting back on track, because you're right, there, there's things you can do. Let's go back to the Gore Lab. Like I said, there's two ways to handle this. If, if this is the first time Drake has ever seen a Gore Lab, you can't use the Gore Lab name if he's never heard it. Mm -hmm. um, and you just use physical characteristics, smells, whatever. And then after the fight, maybe Drake's like, what the crap was that? Mm -hmm. And then somebody's like, oh, that's a Gore Lab. Like, mm -hmm. I can't even believe, you know, whatever. You can do that. Or if you get to this fight scene, you're like, no, no, they, they, they've got to know this. Otherwise, if the thing does this, it, it's not going to impact the reader as much. Great. Writing is about editing. Remember, I always say this. Genius is not written. It's edited. So if you have to do it, then you go back and you find maybe maybe two chapters ago, they were sitting around a campfire because you needed that scene because it had X, Y, Z that had to be done. How hard would it be to go have Drake go? So I've heard, is this, is this where that rumor came from, from the Gore Labs? Like, what the crap are those? And the guy's like, oh, they're not a rumor. They're real. I've seen them. And he's like, really? They're, they're a mix between dragons and kids that don't wash behind their ears. Yeah. I mean, you can say it's a, you can say it's a, but no. And then now when I get to the Gore Lab, it's like, oh, crap. The dude was right. This is real. Yeah. And so that's going to that's going to have impact now on the reader if we're going to do that. But you can't do it in mid swing. No. <laughs> like, you can't. No. You've got to be smarter. You've got to think. And, and if you have to adjust, if you have to move things around, you can decide to do it later. You can decide to do it before, but you know, or you can decide never to do it. I mean, I've done that plenty of times where they'll run into a monster that they don't know what it's called. They don't know anything about it. They have no idea where it's came from. They have to kill it or they're going to die. And then that's it. That's there's no one around to even explain this stuff. So there's just this dead, weird creature that they just killed. You're in a world of monsters. Like, that's going to happen from time to time, in my yeah. opinion. They're not an encyclopedia that knows everything. You might know everything about this monster, but that doesn't mean that the character does, and it doesn't mean the reader needs to. Exactly. So, so that's, that, I mean, there's, there's so much more when it comes to this, but those are kind of like the very tip of the iceberg. You know, making sure you plan things out, making sure you know your motivations, making sure that you know your environment, draw this stuff out. Um, and then when it comes to grammar, be able to pull out that subject in action. Make sure you're in an active voice. Make sure you're writing those short sentences. Make sure that you're using strong, powerful verbs. Make sure that you're not world building and not breaking up the action because that's really what it is. I guess that's what it boils down to. You don't want to slow down the action. So like the sword thing and your, your knife thing, those don't slow down the action. They're quick. They're right in there. They're, they're a part of the scene. And so you read them. And if you can read it and go, yeah, that doesn't slow anything down, then you're fine. Mm -hmm. But if you read it and go, wow, that's, that really breaks this fight up. Like that stops, literally stops the action cold. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a martial art movie that you're watching and they're fighting it, fighting and fighting. And then all of a sudden they stop and they turn and they go, oh, by the way, uh, the, the form that I'm using was actually created by Master Jing Zhong Jin uh, 300 years ago. Like, no, no, you just, you're going to, I want to watch the fight. You're not going to have them stop. Because uh, that's really what it feels like. When you're in prose, that's what you're doing. You're stopping the action. Yeah. So just be smart. Just think again, on purpose, by design, on purpose, by design, everything in prose. We, you know, I always think it's so funny when people come in and like, oh my God, you're such a great writer. I'm not a great writer. I'm a, I'm a decent writer. I'm a pretty good writer. I may be better than some, but I am a great editor. <laughs> like that's what I'm really good at. Readers aren't getting my first draft, second draft, third draft, fourth draft, fifth draft, seventh draft. They're getting the final draft. And they just and, and everybody thinks that because if, if you're not in the game, even even if you are in the game, these these immature writers that are just starting out that really don't know the craft, they also still think, oh, yeah, no, you just write it once. And, you know, these masters, that's what it is. They just write it once and it's done. Absolutely not. Stephen King has said he does that. And I will call BS on him right here, right now. There is no way because it just you have to think about things. Things change. You get new ideas. You make mistakes. Neil Gaiman, who's probably one of the best oh, writers of our generation. So beautiful. He says, you write it once, then you throw it away and you write it again. Right. Then you go back and you make it seem like you knew what you were doing from the first. Right. That's what it is. <laughs> so I talk about Brandon Sanderson a lot. Hmm. He is my second favorite author. We hang out. You know, I've, I've, yeah. I've been on panels with him and stuff like that. And he is a great writer. He really is. But in the Stormlight Chronicles, and, and also 
we teach at the same conventions. And so, you know, I've sat in on some of his stuff if I wasn't teaching at the time. And I'm like, yeah, you're, we're literally saying the exact same. And we say it very different because he's from academia and I'm from the school of hard knocks. And so the way I teach is very blue collar and the way he teaches is, is a hell of a lot more intelligent than I am. I've heard him say the words, don't ever write the line. I wonder what's going to happen next. He thought to himself. I've heard him say that. And yet when the third book of the Stormlight Chronicles came out, it was rushed. He didn't even, he, he even says in there that my, all my beta readers didn't even finish it, much less the editors going through it. And I hit that exact line. And, and it literally, I had to stop. And literally, I was like, oh my goodness, seriously, did he think it to himself? Are you kidding me? Like, but it was, it's, it's just, I'm not going to say that I haven't done that in the first draft yeah. or even missed it on my, my first edit pass or second edit pass. You, you, we make mistakes. We are human beings. So does that make Brandon a bad writer? No, he's an amazing writer, but he made a mistake and he didn't catch it. And, and now it's in print. And, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It does not change anything about it. It doesn't even change the third book of the Stormlight Chronicles. It's still an amazing story. The story is it isn't injured by he thought to himself. It's just a, like, there's no, you can't think to anybody else unless you're writing some weird thing where you have telepathy or whatever, but most books don't have that. And so you're always going to be thinking to yourself. You don't really think to other people. So, but yeah, I had to laugh at that. And, and, and this is not to pick on Sanderson in any way, shape or form. I, I, huge fan, respect him yeah. immensely. I've learned tons of things. But if it can happen to Sanderson, but it can yeah, happen to anyone. <laughs> that's the point. So one of the, 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 mo the most intelligent things that I've ever heard, because I listen to a lot of things in a lot of different areas that even stuff that doesn't have to do with writing. And I'm not going to mention this guy's name because he's very controversial. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I, I love him and I do listen to him a lot. Um, one of the things he said that I do, I've repeated to my children, I've repeated to my friends, my co-writers and everything like that is don't ever compare yourself to someone else. Yeah. There's always going to be someone out there that's better than you at everything. Always compare yourself to yourself yesterday. Are you better than you were yesterday? That's all that matters. And that's really all you can control. Everything else is just you hurting yourself emotionally. You're like, oh, I really wish I was writing like that. Or I really wish I had that kind of job. Or I really wish I you know, went to this college. Or You just, didn't. Just push forward and play against yourself. It's the only opponent that matters. It's actually hard. But once I actually convinced myself, because I heard that years ago. Mm. And once I finally convinced myself, you know, he's right. I should not compare myself to anybody because absolutely everything I do, there is somebody out there that does it better. And, you know, it's not the same person, but there's different people that are always going to be better at me in everything I do. And if I compare myself to them, that's just stupid. Mm. Like I, I can't, I don't have the talent. Maybe yeah. I don't have the, the natural gift. I don't have the education, whatever, whatever they got in their life that I didn't get. I yeah. like, it's just it. So a couple of years ago, I finally convinced myself, to, and I think that's also where I became really comfortable in writing is because now I don't compare myself to any other writers. Yep. Just am I better today than I was yesterday? That's all I care about. And that is a great piece of advice in my opinion. And a great, great place to end this. this great podcast. place to end this podcast. We will see you for another one. Bye. <laughs>